It's uh, Noah, Sam, and Rachel again. Your friends, uh, your corporate f- lunch friends. This is the uh, customer service and fashion podcast known as Corporate Lunch, and it is episode 53. I am Noah. I'm here with Sam and Rachel, as Good always. Good morning. Um, we're back again. I hope everyone has recovered from the trend report and processed that from last episode. Uh, I saw a young woman in a Fleetwood Mac shirt on the train this morning. The shirt was brand new, like she just bought it. She just copped. Um, and then I was like, did she did she miss the message? Like, we weren't saying that you should wear shit that says Fleetwood Mac on it, but that's one, could have been one takeaway. What you should do is what Mary-Kate Olsen did shortly after the podcast came out, which is that she just went to a Fleetwood Mac concert. <laughs> really? Yeah. Where? The night after. L.A.? I think I think it was in Los Angeles. Uh, I've never been to a concert in Los Angeles. I would love to do that. I bet that's a great time. Mm-hmm. Or a movie premiere. You ever been to? A, you've probably been to movie premieres. I've never been to a movie premiere. I think I have. I can't really remember. Sam, have you ever been to a movie premiere? No. Have you ever been to a movie premiere in the nineties? <laughs> <laughs> so everyone collectively shit their pants over a nineties movie premiere photo account on I Twitter. Mean, on Twitter. It's cool to see people freaking out about photos on Twitter. I post a lot of photos on Twitter, and they do perform well, but I guess typically one would do that on Instagram. Right, but the nice thing about Twitter is that when you put a photo on Twitter, you're giving it some kind of like new context. or With words, you mean? Right. You got words on Instagram, though, no? Yeah, but that's more like visually driven. Like, no so it's got to be those. an attractive photograph. And then it's like, oh, I guess here's some information about what the photo is. I mean, if you look at Twitter today, like every tweet has a photo in it anyway. So it's just like becoming really? Instagram. Yeah. I should check my stats. I wonder how my engagement changes uh, based on imagery. What's the account called? Should we name it? I think it's at Nights Unlimited, right? Yes. I uh, think that's a cool account, I guess. It's a, it's a smart idea. It wasn't my idea, but I, I do and have historically and have for a long time been posting um, Getty images of celebrities from the 90s. So I'm a little... Um, I feel a little bit like this is my turf. lane. This is my turf. The cut didn't call and ask me for an interview when I posted four photos of Whoopi Goldberg from the nineties. Just uh, ludicrous. But I mean, I'm, they can reach out. They, they know how to find me. They can reach out to GQPR to try to set that up if I'm available. But oh, sorry, it's Movie Premieres Unlimited, and it's at night opening. I love that movie premieres unlimited. Things don't have titles like that anymore. I mean, Only in the '90s did things have titles. Like corporate that. lunch unlimited. Yeah. Sam Hine unlimited. It's going to be disappointing when this account gets deleted because of because of all the stolen Getty photos on it. But for are now, are they it's watermarked? Fun. No, if they're watermarked, it's fine. Oh, are they? You can't go to Twitter jail for that. Yeah, true. If you can, then I'm screwed. Everyone was really excited about this. Uh, account of like 90s movie premiere photo. I mean like people were freaking out about this and it surprised me that one that the cut even interviewed them because it's like what this person is doing is like it's not their full-time job or anything it's just like they kind of created this viral account and then it was like one of the most read stories on the cut uh, in the past week yeah and it started like it only launched like two weeks ago, right? Right. And now I thought it has, I had seen of, this account forever ago. As of today, it has fifty three thousand followers. So why do you guys think people are so into this account? Well, there's two things. One is the um, just like the surprising, sort of shocking, and unbelievable mix of people that 
I guess, like, used to be alive and hang out together. Like, right. I think there's a lot of just surprise or excitement to see, like... One of the examples that I thought was great, which the creator of the account pulled out in the cut interview, was that Andrew Dice Clay went to the premiere of Nutty Professor right. to the Clumps, which is, like, <laughs> the idea of... You know, I feel like now celebrities, like, you think of them as being kind of rare entities. Like, they won't just go to the opening of an envelope. And the fact that, like, when Andrew Dice Clay was possibly at the most obscure and least relevant point in his career, he's like, yes, I will go to the premiere of Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps. Yeah, he was like, I just don't want to buy a movie ticket, you know? But I can see it for free if I go to the premiere. (laughs) Yeah, I guess one, one, one whole area of fascination is just like, wow, look at all the bad movies that were made in the 90s and early 2000s. The real highlight and the reason that we were put on this earth is is just the close just like like a lot of this comes from uh earlier you know the early days of paparazzi photography when there was um a, a different style the images have sort of a different quality i think that uh and a time when we weren't when not everyone had a phone in their pocket so there aren't a lot of other photos of these things it's not like it's like if Ron Galella wasn't there, you know, yeah, there wouldn't you, be much visual evidence. You never, you never saw it. So this is mostly for the early, um, for the 90s stuff. Once it gets into the 2000s, I guess, I guess it's a little different. But it's also interesting um, to see, I guess, how, um, one, I mean, I think it's just interesting to see these people without any makeup, you know, mm-hmm. like it's kind yeah. of like the just the way that people look like you can actually sort of see the flesh of these, you know, <laughs> right, famous yeah. people, which I don't think we're, we're honestly like not used to seeing that now. Like I, for one, am so used to seeing women with like slight plastic surgery yep. or like some kind of like facial enhancement that to me, like it's really crazy to see people who have like makeup of a level that like I could possibly do. And it's sort of, and it's hard to, <laughs> and it's hard to remember a time when everyone in Hollywood didn't have a stylist. But these people are like all dressing themselves. You know, this is before like brands Not only are even, they dressing themselves, they're just like walking out the house. They're just wearing the their jeans and sneakers and like a lot of going out tops. But there is kind of what's interesting about that, too, is it's like it's not just that they're unstyled. It, there is a sense of style and like aesthetic For engagement sure. mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Like and that's something that like. No, I think you put your finger on with like airport style too, yeah. is that even though these people are like, you know, uh, at their most casual and like hoping to be ignored in a certain way, like they're still putting together outfits. If you Getty image search some of these people like Winona Ryder, or Johnny Depp or, or River Phoenix are some of my favorites. These aren't these aren't necessarily the people at the movie premieres. The, the movie premiere didn't always that the this specific Twitter account doesn't always have the the big dogs, but like they would they would wear the same clothes often. Mm-hmm. Like I don't really think you see that very much now. Well, you can't even afford to do that now because if you're someone who is famous enough that they're getting their photograph taken at the airport, you have like all of these sort of deals, or you're trying to make these deals where right. you're having people sending you stuff, yeah. so you can't. It's like yeah. against your own like financial interests. To wear the same thing twice. I think that's an important probably aspect of it, which is that they're not dressing, they're not getting paid to wear anything that they're wearing necessarily in those. Not not necessarily paid, but they're not trying to like project any particular alignment with a brand or designer or a 
trend, right? Totally. And I think, you know, like the more that I'm sort of looking at these photos and thinking about the photos that you've shared of people <laughs> doing airports or like showing up at the airport or leaving the airport, um, is that at this point in men's style, like people didn't really care, like brands didn't really care what men wore. Yeah. And uh, there was this sense with these kind of like white actors, like kind of like River Phoenix and Brad Pitt and like even like Robin Williams, that like they were kind of artists in this way that yeah. male actors don't conceive of themselves as artists now. As yeah. artists now. Yeah. And they're wearing these kind of like billowy yeah. sort of outfits that look more like they're going to paint or sculpt something. That like I mean Woody Harrelson is another <laughs> one of these yeah. who's like he's wearing like a suit with a tie dye shirt. Yeah, you know he looks like someone who takes himself. I mean this is maybe not quite right, but or I'm t uh, not quite right, but uh, like that he t looks like he takes himself like pretty seriously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh it's that eclectic like '90s dad mix. You know I think everyone kind of gets it. It's like there are. These are guys who probably don't own a ton of clothes. They're probably not shopping very much. They're not being sent very much. And their things are just kind of like, they're just wearing what's around. And not everyone had a phone in their pocket. So it didn't really matter if they were wearing the same thing, you know, to the grocery store, to the premiere, to the date night, whatever. Like, yeah. If the, you know, couple paparazzi weren't around, then it didn't matter. And nobody really cared. There was no, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't a Twitter account posting all these photos. I mean, there's, there's certainly a direct relationship between the nineties paparazzi stuff and the, you know, Jonah Hill, um, Pete, what's his name? Davidson. Uh, Pete Davidson, Shia, um, Bieber, Bieber, kind Frank of Ocean, stuff, Kanye. stuff we're seeing now. Yeah. Remember when Kanye was, uh, we forget. Oh, so much has happened since. But just carrying his laptop around, like in yeah. in, in Calabasas, <laughs> just Calabasas <laughs> parking lots with his laptop unsleeved. There's the '90s paparazzi stuff, and then there's that stuff today. In in between, there was a lot of like heavily stylized, uh, fashiony, fake, much less interesting, um, sort of like tabloid fodder. Yeah. Well, I think what sort of what happened there is that. Armani, and, and there were a few other places did it, but it was mostly Armani said, you know, people really don't know what to wear to movie premieres. So they were in <laughs> fact looking at this and reacting in quite a different way than we are. And so Giorgio Armani hired, you know, sort of like the first celebrity stylists or like society connectors to dress people in Armani. And mm -hmm. of course this resulted in some like really great outfits, yeah. but then once other fashion brands sort of caught on to this, yeah then all of these fashion brands started dressing people and things became much more polished and then like extremely like extremely polished and right. very limiting and uh pretty narrow and it seems like the events all became more glamorous i mean like the movie premiere stuff in particular is interesting because they're like on a sidewalk yeah there's like you rarely see a step and repeat there's there's no literal red carpet there's like just like L.A. streets and, and sidewalk in front of a theater, like daytime, you know, like the five o'clock California sunshine down mm -hmm. on that. And um, so casual, which I think we relate to now. But one thing I noticed that's really different is there's much less like athletic wear. Yeah. There were definitely like there were differences like you didn't see things that looked like gym clothes the way now you just see everyone just wears clothes that look like gym clothes 
all the time. Like right. that, that goes high or whatever. But there seem to be more, more, I don't know, like rules to it or codes for like that type of casual dressing that even though it looks kind of like messy and anything goes to us, there were some sort of barriers, some guardrails. Right. I think. I think you're right. Denim, leather jackets, T-shirts, flannels, billowy clothes, pleated chinos, beat up boots. Sneakers definitely went down, but like that was kind of it. Yeah. Hats, cigarettes, sunglasses. Yeah. Um, nothing ever looked new. Yeah. Like not really at all. I mean, it's interesting. Like what you're I feel like what you're articulating is this kind of <clears throat> like Los Angeles like goofy intellectual sense of style that yeah. like just doesn't exist anymore you know where it's like a lot of people who maybe lived in Tribeca but then decided to like move to Los Angeles yeah right <laughs> there well there was also there's also been a shift I think in the energy from actors to musicians mm -hmm. like most of what you see in the 90s are actors right and people that hang out with actors and then, whereas today, more of the energy in terms of style is on musicians, other types of artists, and athletes. But it seems like in the 90s, there were only a handful of athletes and musicians that would kind of like break into these high, like highly photographed events. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I guess it was just a lot cooler to be a movie star then. Yeah. I think movie stars are in a, a rough place right now. Yeah. I mean, everyone, yeah, it was like, you know, Blockbuster was still around. Everyone had VHSs and DVDs and shit. <laughs> you know? What does that mean? Just people watched movies more? People bought, people paid for movies. Yeah. It's true. The Blockbuster, um, Sam, have you ever been to a Blockbuster? Yeah. All Did right. you ever make it a Blockbuster night? <laughs> One thing about that that's really funny is like, you'd go into a Blockbuster, which was fucking huge, like a Walmart-sized store full of VHSs, which makes sense because they they're enormous if you think about them relative to... The, like a phone. Like, yeah, or like the literal space they, they don't occupy at all now. And you would look at boxes, and on the boxes were the faces of the actors in the movie. Like, you became so intimately familiar with, like, Woody Harrelson from seeing his face on the cover of White Man Can't Jump. Right. Over and over and over and over and over again. Well, and remember when they would first get in, like, White Man Can't Jump, for example, it would be, like, two shelves. Yeah. You know, if there was, like, oh, a big right. movie that everyone was excited that's to right. see, it would be just two shelves in a movie over and over and over again. That's amazing. Again. I, remember, I don't even yeah. believe you. That sounds too crazy. You could... <laughs> It's a hundred percent true, and you could really no tell how big and important a movie was by how many like shell, how many how many copies were stocked right. at, at block. Because there would be some that would like just be the whole wall, like, exactly. The whole and they would say, if we don't have this, you can rent it for free. Oh, and I remember God, that happened with deal. Saving Private Ryan, and that's how I ended up seeing <laughs> Saving Private Ryan. That's how Tom Hanks became your favorite actor. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, actors were were allowed to 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 be way more reckless and had way bigger personalities and way less polish and probably way more themselves then and then i think i don't know what happens studios start investing huge amounts of money everyone becomes a mogul and suddenly like uh it's about business and you have to clean up your act and be serious and professional but yeah. then like musicians kind of broke through in the other way where they were like oh, we can be, like, we can use style to, like, tell our story and to, like, really develop who we are and, like, Post Malone can tattoo his face and, like, and push that 
all the way to the the max and there's not any and and that is his the best thing for his business right and i I think what really shifted the aesthetics of hollywood was when when all these brands like armani and versace and stuff started lending clothes and trying to like build relationships with actors studios started budgeting stylists basically and like hiring people and giving money to actors to hire their own stylists so that they wouldn't show up looking like you know, wearing dad jeans and sneakers or whatever. Right. And the stylists became these like liaisons between the brands and the actors, obviously. Um, you know, that hasn't changed. But, you know, it became like a huge power industry. Um, and and then we sort of entered this period of like the over-stylized aughts um, when like everyone had big stylist money and um, used it to sort of nefarious ends sometimes. Yeah, the aughts are a tough time. Rachel, what do you think about style in the aughts? Well... I mean, I think there are two things. I think things. it was bad. Yeah, there are two horrible things happening in the aughts. It's like, one, that... The Iraq War. Yeah, the Iraq War is happening. But also, I think people were just very aware of this kind of overexposure and this like desire from the public to see images and know everything about celebrities' private lives. Yeah. And for some strange reason a lot of people emerged who embraced that. Yeah. Um, right. You know, rather, you would think that, like, you know, Brad Pitt, and I guess, like, some, you know, with some actors or celebrities, this did happen, like, Brad Pitt and Courtney Love would be like, I never want to talk to someone from the media again. Yep. But then there were people like Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie who yep. were like, take every single photo <laughs> of me that you want to. Yeah. And, you well, know, reality TV definitely plays a part, right? That fo- yeah. that that type of it. Yeah, but that's when you begin to see like the really casual clothing thing happening because people start wearing like juicy couture, yeah. sweatpants, and right. that sort of thing. We're basically all still wearing some version of juicy couture sweatsuits today, don't you think? I think we are. Sam's actually literally wearing juicy couture, he but is. um, right. That's a good point. There became this thing that was like, if the cameras are always on. Uh, you you can't pretend that you are always dressed up. Right. So the thing to do was to dress down, but do it in the in the same with the same approach that you take when you dress up. Does right. That make sense. So Absolutely. It was like, no, I mean I remember like when I bought a pair of Juicy Couture sweatpants in two thousand and three. Dope. The store in which I bought them in Orange County, California, had photographs above the rack of Madonna and Paris Hilton wearing Juicy. What couture. color did you get? I just got like gray. And what? Who did you want most to emulate? Madonna. Same. So the nineties were I don't know a, a dark time. I. Are, are it, does it just need another 10 years before we can look at it the way we were looking at the stuff from the 90s? Wait, you mean the aughts? Wait, what did I say? Time? Yeah, let me you say it again. The aughts were sort of a dark time, but do we just need another 10 years to be able to look back on it and see it the way we see the 90s? As My answer say, is I don't think so. As they say, the trend pendulum works in 20-year cycles. Yeah, but— Is that true? I, it, I think it's everyone kind always of, says that as if it's like a you know just a widely accepted fact. I but think it's kind of undeniable. Right we're in the eighties, they were into the sixties, right? Yeah, I mean the thing is that like the reality is that sounds like kind of woo woo like pseudoscience, but yeah. the fact is that like that simply is 
like that is the time at which photographs begin to look like photographs from another time. Mm -hmm. So for example, yeah, like yeah, this yeah. this summer when I was reading Otesha Moshfegg's book, which is about 9-11, uh -huh. I, after I read the book, I went back and looked at like a lot of photographs. And that was the first time I'd realized that like the pe what people were wearing looked like clothing from another era. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that had not, I had not ever felt that way before, yeah. but I was like, no, people who are working in downtown New York dress like this at all yeah, anymore. Yeah. Um, so I do think that that's like just sort of like what happens. That's, that's the science. period of time over, yeah, and science. And things find a unique sort of appeal, whether it's nostalgia or, um, or something more, uh, less like emotionally related than that, but things from another era can have a type of appeal that things from the current era that are just like in bad taste can't quite have right and, and kids who buy clothes when they're you know you start buying clothes when you're like 18 probably most people and or 20 or whatever and when you're like part of youth quote-unquote like youth culture as we are. you're kind of looking back at the things that that you you never got to experience because you were too young you know so like for my generation it's like looking back at the 90s i mean i was born in 93 so i missed three good solid 90s years but i think a lot of people you know they, they're looking back at the clothes and the fashion and, and going to thrift stores and trying to find these like pieces that you know, we were never around to buy. And, and, and that's the youth culture is sort of embracing the 90s and sort of like blowing it back up. That's right. You were so that's saying another way to explain the, the 20-year trend cycle. Some people think it's more like 10 years. That's what like friend of the pod, Brian Procell, um, that's right. sort of his argument. And he, he works in like a pretty rarefied um, world of luxury vintage fashion. But It's interesting um, that for Procell, it would be more closer to 10 years. Um, we should have him on the show sometime. Yeah. That would be really fun. But I asked him what I asked him what he thought like in, like ten years from now would be considered sort of like yeah. cool, amazing. What vintage. should we What should we hang on? He to? said he said Eckhouse Lada. But that's not a satisfying answer because the stuff that because Eckhouse Lada is expensive and rare now. Yeah, that's true. It's not like it's not like Gautier denim or something, which you you know, as far as I can tell, was like pretty widely available. But also was expensive. But just like I, or just like the rap tees and stuff. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. Um, everything is so mass produced, and I don't know. I wonder. I wonder if if a, a version of the pro sale business model will be able to exist that way in ten or twenty years. But I'm sure. I'm sure he'll still yeah, be around. Yeah. The thing about that you mentioned about stuff being mass produced too is that like when I look at photographs of clothing in the '90s, like all of it looks so well made. Uh huh. In a way that huh. like like. You know, like mm -hmm. Lululemon pants don't look well yeah, made. You know, it's true. just like it's nice to see like a beautiful leather jacket. Yeah, and the American apparel industry hadn't fully pieced out right. in the '90s. You know, right. t-shirts were still made in the Amer in, in America. Yeah, well, and also at that point, like on Rodeo Drive, you had all of these like Italian men's boutiques mm -hmm. that were like bringing in these pieces. You know, like sort of expensive but not like outrageously expensive like leather jackets and like denim and you know cashmere sweaters and that sort of thing mm -hmm. um it's also just fun to like look at these photographs where you don't you're not doing a guessing game of like who made that you know or yeah. how did that come to them like it's nice That's to very just enjoy true. this like you know like there's this photograph that i really like of julia roberts I, at a movie premiere in 1989, and she's wearing a huge cable knit sweater, just like a beautiful cable knit, white cable mm -hmm. knit sweater with a mini skirt and over the knee boots. And she has like, you know, long, curly, like beautifully groomed hair. And she just looks so like simple and like sexy and like confident and kind of normal. And I don't mm -hmm. look at her and wonder like, 
God, like, where did she get that sweater? Or like, how did she put those boots together with this? I'm just like, that is like a great casual, cool outfit. I know this is counter to what you're saying right now, but where do you think she got it? And I'm, I'm only asking, um, not to try to disprove your point, but because like, is it just regular mall stuff? I mean, she's, it's still, it's expensive fashion she's wearing probably, right? Yeah. Like Bergdorf. Yeah, I mean, I think that she was probably going to like the women's wear equivalent of those like Italian, and there's there are two of them, I can't remember the names, but there were these like boutiques on Rodeo Drive Mm -hmm. that sold designer clothes. Because you also have to remember at this point, like there was not like a Versace store in New York. Mm -hmm. You know, there wasn't a Chanel boutique. Right. I don't think until like the late 80s or maybe even the early 90s in the United States. So like, people weren't just kind of dropping into these places and getting that kind of clothing. I think they were just wearing like well-made European clothing with brand names that we may not even recognize at this point. There may have been lost to history. Like Dijon or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, There you go. Um, So yeah, I think that's probably where she was getting it. Yeah, I think that's totally part of of why we look at these like 90s, you know, movie premieres and, and, really connect with the fashion on some level because it's just it's like purely silhouette there's no logos it's impossible to like figure out who the brands are they're like aren't they're not designer and like today it's like impossible to separate what people are wearing from like just like the idea of clout or like or like what or like how cutting edge it is or whatever and like the silhouette's almost like secondary to the to the designer or the or the brand or whatever but you can sort of take each fit from the 90s as like a singular just like expression of this person's style and today it's like totally impossible you just you just can't do that the game is like way too complicated right well and it's like if so and so wears Redarte or wears Versace or whatever it's like suddenly an expression expression of like all their personal values yeah yeah (laughs) like everyone's like you know there's virtue Lady Gaga is wearing Saint Laurent to like this event because blah 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 and she's wearing like Versace to this event because she's a powerful woman there's virtue and in the right the right brands synergy yeah it's totally true one of my favorites uh from the era is andy garcia if you look up andy garcia's fits they'll just blow your mind and he maybe is wearing a lot of like armani it looks sort of italian in that way um he wears there's a lot of like suited kind of like double-breasted stuff and then some like real loose drapey like nice knits and like a big soft trench coat and then there's like hawaiian shirts and jeans and and chucks and stuff but I hadn't put my finger on that, but I think that's exactly right. There's no, well, first of all, you're not going to look and be like, what's he wearing? I want to, I want to cop cop. Cause you're just not gonna, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think the release, the freedom from the, um, the trigger, the, the, the itchy trigger finger to cop once you catch something is like, when you take that out of the equation, suddenly you're having a true pure fit experience. Yeah. Which is really a true, a pure fit experience. Which is which is what which is what we're all after. Um, that's why I'll never tell anyone what I'm wearing. And well, I guess everyone has a different relationship to it. But I hate. I, I don't like to wear things that people immediately recognize. I don't either. It's hard though. You're like T- that jacket's not Dries Van Noten, please. That all said, are we are we in a a new sort of golden age of celebrity style uh, today? The big question. I know we're kind of we're kind of I mean all right obviously we're all on board with the 90s thing it's incredible um, that was the golden age it's, of it's, celebrity it's style. a special special thing like I, th- I think actually that when we talk about you know how like we talk about old Hollywood glamour referring to the 30s and 40s like Cary Grant or something exactly I think that the, the 90s 
are staking their claim to no. supplant that version of old Hollywood when glamour. When you say old Hollywood glamour, I think Terminator 2 Judgment Night movie premiere. Thank you. <laughs> so are we in a golden age of celebrity style now? I mean, I would say yes, not the golden age, but a golden age, only because people dress crazy. And that's great. Right? Yeah. And um, there's a rush to... Uh, kind of like outdo or one up or um, make a big statement that someone else isn't making, which just leads to like, I don't know, push a T wearing Craig Green. Yeah. And then you're like, that's really dope. That's like, there's something strange about it, but uh, because Craig Green's clothing is often conceptual and, uh, it, you know, obtuse in a way that that isn't like, an obvious fit for a right it's not a it's not really like a status flex i mean it is to us but it's not to like the average person just looking at Pusha t and wondering what he's wearing thinking about sam just pulled up jonah hill's page which is you know i think everyone's a little tired of talking about jonah hill as a a a fashion icon but it's kind of undeniable you know like two weeks ago he's in the marnie store and some intrepid paparazzi's out on the sidewalk like a creep i guess they're creeps by nature he's just doing his job uh with the long lens like shooting jonah shopping in a marnie store and uh i mean we ride for marnie obviously there is something cool about that but then the opposite thing where like i was talking about andy garcia like you would never have seen photos of andy garcia shopping in a store and giving a shit you know on the one hand it's cooler when the celebrity is not wearing identifiable brands and is not be caught shopping or carrying shopping bags. Right. But on the other hand, Jonah Hill in a Marnie store is great. It's yeah. probably our fault. The paparazzo is probably like, oh, GQ's definitely going to buy these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but mean, you, yeah. You, you, thanks, I, Sh- Sam Shuby, for that. I know that we're, we're all like a little Jonah'd out, but like, I think you do have to shout him out for, for sort of like, he plays the game so well and he kind of like outwits the, like the hype cycle or whatever. You know, like when he wore the Phoenix Suns jersey, he admitted to GQ's Zach Barron that, he did it literally just to get a rise out of like the internet and to get the, because he knew that the pops were like outside of his appartment. I wonder he was how like, oh, often I'm going to put on this Phoenix, this Phoenix Suns jersey and wear a crazy fit I wonder and tuck how it into my dickies and like see what happens, right? It's not that crazy. It's just a Phoenix Suns jersey. If you replace it with a white t-shirt, it's otherwise totally normal. Yeah, no? but it's not a white, yeah, but it's not a white t-shirt. It's a Phoenix Suns jersey. How often do you think celebrities in the 90s were, were like trolling like that? Um, I, when you look there's at, there's less fo- like irony, there's less, there's less irony. I mean, there's like, to bring it back to last week's pod, there's a lot of elegance. Yeah. If you look at like the photographs, for example, of like, uh, Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow, who famously sort of like dressed like one another they as matched. they were dating. Yeah. I mean, I think they so were sick. definitely very extremely aware of like their own beauty and their appearance um but they wanted to look like kind of extreme and weird and hot i mean that and that again goes back to this thing i was saying about like these people conceived of themselves more as like creative artists um brad pitt than they do now his hair always matched his date yeah like for years that was the case but sorry i was just gonna uh call out the the different like the Brad Pitt and Gwyneth and then on the opposite end of the spectrum I don't know if it was the same time at all but like Winona and um, Johnny Depp yeah who also kind of had matching hair they but did. were always like 
in dark clothes, smoking, sunglasses, like hood pulled up. There's there's one image, I think the two of them walking through LAX and Winona's carrying a suitcase and she's like holding it up in front of her face in front of the cameras to, mm-hmm. to block her face. Um, the thing that's interesting that you bring up with um, like with Winona and Johnny Depp is like a- another part of 90s style, which is like people just wanted to look cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to look like rich or connected or thin. Yeah. They just wanted to look cool. That's such a good point. One thing that really stands out is that their hair always looked fucking amazing. It didn't matter yeah, what they were wearing. They always had great shades on. You think and they their had hair different, fantastic. different hair, hair products back then? Different water quality in Los Angeles County, yeah. maybe? The yeah. LA water is great for hair, <laughs> I've noticed actually. Much better than New York. Um, Softer or something. Yeah, and they just kept it pretty straightforward. It was like, like I said, the clothes all looked old. It was like leather jackets. Nicolas Cage was one that like really smashed it. Um, I want to return to Sam's question about whether or not we're in a golden age of celebrity style. Because I'm thinking more about like this pantheon of guys who we sort of are the ones who we would use as the evidence to suggest that we are in a golden age of celebrity style. And I do want to point out that like when the Shia Fit Watch started happening mm-hmm. when like the Jonah fit watch was happening. What, what we were really excited about was that these guys were dressing and shopping like us. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. so it was sort actually, yeah, yeah, sort of, but like an <laughs> idealized version of like, sure. if we had more money and a little like more free time. Yeah. And you know, I think what's funny about that is that it was very reactive to what was happening before. But on the other hand, it's like, well, but of course, like men dress like that, you know, like and it was uh, I don't mean to like discount or downplay what they were doing, because I do think it was like it's really cool. But, you know, in the 90s, it wasn't like, oh, like Brad Pitt is out there kind of wearing the pants that I want to (laughs) buy, which is like, you know, or like making me rethink Carhartt, (laughs) which is really like kind of what these guys have been doing. Yeah. Well, that's definitely a. the way we think what the ideas that we project onto it has a major effect on the goldenness of the age i think mm-hmm. like i mean i don't know we work for gq so it's like <laughs> <laughs> we should just do a an like an issue or a week on the website that's just only all the 90s stuff and do all that like brad pitt is making me rethink frosted tips yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's funny i was thinking about it, skateboarding is trying to do to, to like relive the nineties with like big shoes and, and swishy track pants and like the, the return of DC, uh, the brand is like retroing sneakers from that era. And it's not, some people are, are on board. Some aren't, it's, it's like such a radically different aesthetic then it, it doesn't relate to the celebrity stuff we're talking about. And it's like really stands out relative to how other people dress now. Would, do you think that you could look at, uh, a lot of pictures of, um, these guys in the 90s and start dressing like that today and it would be fine. I think a lot of them wear leather blazers and people would find <laughs> that questionable. Supreme has a great leather blazer this, yeah, the this leather, season. Yeah, the leather blazer is like kicking around. I feel like Mobilaji would wear a leather blazer. John Teets, John Teets would wear a leather mm-hmm. blazer with like a turtleneck and an unbuttoned silk shirt over it. John Teets actually, uh, GQ fashion editor, uh, a mysterious man of... Um, unusual and impeccable style he dresses like a 90s celebrity he really does and he has the hair too yeah we would have him on the pod but he's more of a visual guy it would have to be a video episode and he's just tries to dress cool that's like his one sort of guiding principle he does have that similar cool thing no one really wants to dress cool anymore right 
like, did you already say this? Cool isn't high on the list of the way you want to dress now. That, people I just think that's wanna, totally true. People want to dress like weird or they want to dress like correctly. There's yeah, exactly. One or the other. You want to be like relevant. You want to check the right boxes. You want to project the right kind of ideas. You don't um, want to repeat outfits. People yeah, hate repeating so. outfits these days. Yeah, everyone has too many clothes. The thing about repeating outfits is then you're missing opportunities to wear new outfits. And then there's also the shame, I suppose, of repeating the outfit. But I respect the repeats. I mean, ideally, if you're wearing an outfit, if you like an outfit enough to wear it out of the house, it should make you feel so great that you want that high once again. Mm. Every day. Yeah. You heard it here. Don't don't go outside in an outfit that makes you feel anything less than like your very best self. Like you're living in your own mini golden age of you. <laughs> hey. Craziest thing you've ever seen. Let's do 13 vibes. That was great. Okay, okay, okay. 13 vibes. 13 vibes. Uh, let's do 13 vibes. This is a not so fast lightning round where we share with you vibes that um, make us feel good. Um, I've got a few. I'll start um, with the brand La Sportiva. Hey. Hey, that was gonna be my vibe. Give it up for outdoors footwear. Sam's a big salmon guy. You see a lot of the salmons out there with the with the uh, what do you call that? They got a, like a little bit of a lacing system. Yeah. I, I've never yeah. messed with a it. Really but advanced. Wide I think you sort of just tug on something. Looks like a and shark is smiling at you. Um, <laughs> La Sportiva is a is an outdoorsy footwear brand in a similar vein. And uh, you know what? Caught why I th- I thought of it. Um, other than I'm. You know, I'm like a professional trend forecaster, and I, it's my job to tell people what's cool. But I saw this like old German guy outside at the uh, uh, 9/11 memorial downstairs from the content tower, and you know those old German guys that are just like outdoors tech dad, like everything, every everything they're wearing is like a technical garment, and they've got like buzzed hair, and they're just super sporty looking. Like, yeah. they're either going to get on a... They're going to, like, get on a motorcycle and ride it to a mountain and then climb the mountain and then paraglide down. Right. They're ready for all that shit. Anyway, the guy was rocking these, like, low-top Sportiva hiking sneakers that are so fly, and I indeed logged on to backcountry.com and ordered myself a pair. Rachel. Ponchos. Hmm. Poncho-y lefty? Not a poncho with sleeves, though. Like, something that just has a hole for your neck and you throw it over your outermost layer um do you have a poncho that you love i do i have a really cool poncho that i got in mexico you've got a lot of things from mexico yeah you're sort of um is it knit or uh water repellent it's knit mm. i thought you were gonna go water repellent it's a little I mean, rainy that's interesting in New York today too. i always like those ponchos that are for sale at football games yeah i think those are interesting sam um, my vibe is bottomless brunch. <laughs> Worst vibe ever. I haven't done it in a while. Harsh. Uh, really, really the harshest, harshest vibe. vibe. <laughs> it's an ironic vibe, but um, I got it because I wouldn't, it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I um, wouldn't recommend it as like a lifestyle. But um, or maybe like maybe once a season, just getting the crew together and going to bottomless brunch. Oh. And bottomless can mean like bottomless scrambled eggs. It can mean bottomless toast. I mean, bottomless Bloody Marys. Bottomless sort of up fun. to you. Mimosas. Bottomless fun. Bottomless the food, toast. The food at Bottomless Brunch is always fucking terrible. Do you have a spot or you're just, it's the general thing? No, like if you I don't were have to go to, if you were, if I, if we were to make a plan for Bottomless Brunch tomorrow, where would we go? 
I would probably take you to Bar to Back. Right. In That's in good. Brooklyn. It's not technically bottomless, but it's like really cheap, so it kind of oh. doesn't matter. I respect that. I haven't been to brunch in years. Maybe I'll go sometime and and do that whole thing and get drunk and then what happens? You get all by noon you're just wasted. You go home and sleep until You don't have to nine. get wasted. You can just have like a leisurely long brunch with the boys. I think it's about yeah. I think it's about the length of the brunch. It's not about getting tanked. It's, it's like, like a I'm whole, gonna be here for like five hours. It's like a whole like just activity to do for the day, right? We used to do that at what's the big restaurant at the Bowery Hotel on the corner with the huge booths and like the melted candles everywhere. It has an Italian name. We used to sit in there for hours and have Nicoletta. Brunch. Is that what no. it is? Uh, what should I go next? I'm feeling rattled by the the brunch thing. Yeah, All right, then the next vibe is uh related Jason Dill, the good homie. Oh, yeah. Um pro skate <laughs> legend. Um I just um I spent some time with him recently in Ventura, California where he lives for a big GQ style profile uh that's out in the current issue which is out now which you should buy, subscribe to, take a picture of it, send it to Sam Hine and he'll send you a sticker along with a nice little note. I'll autograph the sticker, actually, this time. Actually, Rachel will autograph the sticker. <laughs> Dill is a, uh, a super interesting character. He's someone I've um, admired and sort of followed for many years uh, since he skated for Alien Workshop. I don't know. He He's a enigmatic, sort of iconic kind of figure. Uh, he was on the Osbournes when he was young. He was friends with Jack Osborne. That's a fun fact for non-skaters. That's cool. Um, anyway, he's had a hell of a life, and I spent some time with him, and he told me his life story. He talks a lot. He's very open. He shares a lot, and now he's kind of um, cleaned up his act a little bit and uh, survived some gnarly shit, and he, he runs the brand Fucking Awesome, which is exploded into uh, just like one of the – I don't know, best, most exciting skate brands out right now. You know, Tyshawn Jones, Thrasher Skate of the Year, RIP Jake Phelps, skates for fucking awesome, as does, like, the entire Supreme Skate team, so there's a lot of overlap there. Dill was a big Supreme guy. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking about Dill. Dill's a vibe. He's rad. Me and Michael Schmeling, the photographer, went to his house in Ventura, hung out with him all day, made some photos, wrote a big story. Online now. Moving on. Bonnie Raitt. Oh, God. Nice. You guys are just ruining me brunch and bonnie rate are you kidding me? i find bonnie rate so grating but go on so there was a i comment too much on the vibes don't i i should shut (laughs) up all right you're harsh about the the vibe you have to let the vibe fucking it up so um there was a great story in billboard this week about the making of bonnie rate's first article or first uh first album which i grew up listening to and in fact she said in this piece it was kind of like a um uh, okay, wait, I need to start again mm-hmm. because I just screwed up what I was saying. There will was, you say it again and when you say it, will you name the album and the year it came out and, yeah. and the hit single from it? Yeah. So there was um, a piece this week in Billboard about the making of Bonnie Raitt's 1989 album, Nick of Time. And she said in this oral history of Nick of Time that a lot of women grew up like listening to this album in the car with their moms, which I absolutely did. Yeah. And so that was pretty cool. But it talks about how she was like dropped by her label and she oh. got a new label that was like, okay, like we're not going to give you any money, but you can do whatever you want. And so she kind of was like, all right, well, I guess if I can do whatever I want, then I'm just going to make this like really spare, weird, like bluesy, poppy R&B record. Th- and that's what Nick of Time is. Yeah. Wow. Um, and there are all of these like insane, like Herbie Hancock is on one of the songs and like, Whoa. Um, 
What wasn't there? A, what's the wasn't there a huge hit off that album? So Nick of Time is like probably the most famous. What's the song. name of the song? Yeah, but then there, the album after that was um, had let's give him something to talk about, oh, which okay, is like right. the hit. That's the one that made her like a superstar. Yeah. Was she? Did the first album make her famous? So that wasn't her first album, which is the other cool thing. Oh. Is like this was an album that she'd made like basically mid-career. Like she'd been making records for like 15 or okay, 20 years at right. that point. That's what I thought. When which you said I 1989, like. I thought she was much older. The yeah. old stuff is good. Yeah, the old stuff is really great. Is Nick of Time like a masterpiece? It is. I'll listen to it. Another music vibe, the band Public Practice. It's sort of a punk project led by a friend of the pod, Sam York. Yeah. Um, Noah and I were kicking it with her last night. They have a show tonight at Union Pool, which you will have missed by the time you listen to this. But they were just at South by Southwest and played a bunch of shows, and it looked sick. It's and, a Wharf um, Cat band, right? It's a Wharf Cat band. Um, they have one single, no, one EP out um, that fucking slaps, and are working on an album now. So, public practice. Check them out. They're rad. They're um, rad. That's the, a vibe Noah likes. Finally. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you for giving us a good vibe for once. Uh, the next vibe is Tropical Wool. You guys know about tropical wool? I hate oh, tropical yeah. wool. <laughs> this is what it. Worst I'll take fabric. it. All right, all right. Um, I'm uh, I'm in the market for a tropical wool suit. This is this is a vibe, but also a a solicitation. Is that what you call it? For I'm soliciting uh, um, links to tropical wool suiting. I want a tropical wool suit. I want a suit where if you hold up the jacket in front of the sunlight, you can see through it. Um, engineered garments has the nicest wow. trop- <laughs> Shut up. See-through suit. Engineered garments has the nicest tropical wool I've ever seen, but um, I want I want sort of more of an Italian style suit in the fabric. But it's amazing you can wear it year round. Um, well, no, you wear it when it's really hot out, but it's wool, but you don't get too hot. I don't know. This tropical wool, it's dope. Why is it better than like? Just a super like breezy linen suit or something. Like a really I don't open like linen because I don't like the way linen creases. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Linen looks the good when it's pressed and you don't move, but I I hate the look of that. I don't hate. I mean, sometimes it's cool. It's nice when it's blended with silk, but lint that crinkle of linen irritates me. It but it does not look nice. It's it, not a fabric that crinkles well. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I know it's supposed to look like that. Like, it's it's not meant to look sort of sharp, and you're supposed to be, like, on the beach in linen with, like, your pants kind of rolled up and bare feet. But, like, no, the the wool kind of has this crispy l- look to it, uh, but I, but feels like, like linen. So um, that's tropical wool. Rachel, give me another vibe. Save me from this vibe. I don't know. All right, we're out of vibes. That's episode 53 of Corporate Lunch, the fashion customer service podcast. We are coming to you live from the uh, premiere of Terminator 2 Judgment Night. Um, Sam Hine is wearing a leather blazer. Rachel Tashjian is smoking cigarettes. And I'm Woody Harrelson. We'll see you next week.